Boom. We are live. What's up, everyone? How are you all doing? Welcome, Mr. Hanley, to the Bridge the Gap show. My name is Holden Stefan Roy. As I just said, today we have Mr. Hanley. This is the show where we talk to interesting persons such as yourself. Walk through your life and gain some interesting insight as we bridge the gap of our experiences. I learned some new perspectives, but perspectives is the other show, so I get confused sometimes and name drop everything. Uh, it's good to have you with us, Mr. Hanley. How are you doing today? Hey, bro. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I'm finally here. I know I flopped a couple times on you, but I'm here. That is a fact. Third time's the charm, I suppose. Um, so yeah, we'll get like into it. With that, we do like to kind of set off the tones with our typical opening question. But for that question to make sense, can you let us know where you start your life? Like the very inception place of a young Hanley. Born in Montreal, raised in Ottawa. You were born in Montreal, uh, raised in Ottawa. I don't know why, since there's a delay on your video, but we can hear you. Um, fair enough. We'll have, we'll run with it. Um, so with that, the opening question, it's a little bit of a story. When it lands, you can kind of take it in the direction you want to go with it. And it all starts off with the girlfriend. She's washing the dishes one time and, uh, she's got her phone out playing that Black Eyed Peas song. The, I got a feeling. Oh shit. My mic's off. No. One second. I have to fix that. They're going to get mad after. Um, mic. It'll be fixed in a second. Boom. <clears throat> so yeah, now it should be good. She, I got a feeling. As I was at. So she's playing that Black Eyed Peas song. And I look at her and I have this thought like, yo, when in the fuck did this track become like chores music? You know, like this went from a song that back in the day, you know, we was bumping, partying, vibing to. And then all of a sudden, it's some track that we put on when we're doing some chores, exercising, trying to find, you know, a more positive vibe through the boring, mundane tasks of our lives. And so it got me just thinking about our journeys with music and uh, how it is really a journey that evolves. Like this song didn't change at all. But as we got older, our relationship with the song evolved into a point where it just kind of became something completely different. And it got me thinking about how when we talk uh, and uh, we talk to people and you, you watch these interviews with different artists and everything always seems to start at this adolescent point, like when they first started rapping or when they first started falling in love with hip hop. And it's like nothing ever really happens before the age of 10 in their lives. And with that, it got me thinking like, yo, there's a good chance that even when you was a little baby coming out in the hospital, there was some music being played in that room, being absorbed by a little you. And I was like, nah, so music's like a huge part of your life. Like, I can remember being a kid in the apartment in Montreal and, you know, like, hearing the different shit my parents would play and how it's just kind of absorbed by me and stuff that I can all remember to this day. So I was wondering if you could run us back to the youngest Hanley you could remember being and tell us a little bit about what it sounded like to be you when you were growing up and had no control over the music. Uh... That's a good question. It was a lot of like oldies, man, like a lot of uh, classic rock that we'd listen to, like we'd hear today, like parents were born in the 50s, so like the rock after that, basically, so the decades following that, you could say, and then the 90s, so I was born in the 90s, so I was still listening to all that, <clears throat> a, lot of the, a lot of the classic old rock stuff that was around me, and then 
around like we, nine or ten. Your parents was like for me. was your were your parents like avid music listeners when you were young? Yeah. I'm like, were you definitely? Were you involved in that like a bit? Like, were you like with them, kind of singing along, trying to be, uh, you know, a little musician when you were five years old? You know, I don't really recall doing that kind of thing. It wasn't really like something I was doing as a kid. I was just like, it just kind of, when I started making music, before I stopped making music, I was just doing it because I just fell in love with the genre itself. So just like, listening to it. What's that? Sorry. So like, what were you doing before music when you were young? Were you like into cartoons and video games? Were you a sports kid? I was out there, I was playing baseball, I was playing shit, I was playing sports with friends or whatever. I wasn't really a school kid, I wasn't, like, I graduated, finished it, but I wasn't totally focused on it, so I knew I didn't want to be programmed by a fucking school. Fair, so... So, uh, here we are, trying to do the entrepreneur thing. But when you, so you were little when you were still in school... You know, I know you didn't want to yeah. do it but when you were like eight. What were you all, like? What kind of hobby stuff were you into before the music? So yeah, like you, like you were saying, like comics, shit like that. Comics, uh, video games, a lot of it, like classic Super Nintendo and shit like that. And were you in Montreal at that point? Like when? No, I was in Ottawa, Ottawa by then. So like you go to Ottawa when you're young, young. Yeah, so like probably around three and a half, four. Okay. And then uh, you start going through school, and then what? What does introduces you to hip hop? Uh, you said it was around like ten ish or something. Uh, older brother was listening to a lot of it at the time. Do you remember like the song that got you hooked into the hip hop world? Um, I think it was Outkast. Uh, their whole uh, uh, what album was it? It was Atlians. Okay. T-Aliens. However anybody pronounces it, I've heard multiple different ways Pretty of sure saying it. Pretty sure it's And so, we did so I, but just so everybody's happy with the way it's pronounced. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a, a record from that. Either that or it was a bigger pop track. It sounds very generic, but... I mean, everyone kind of has their experiences coming into it and believe it or not not a lot of people have said to me outcast so it doesn't sound that generic to me maybe if you're in the south and you said outcast it might be different but you know maybe i know that they got real big but the at aliens wasn't exactly when they got really big it was before you know mm, um, so like you kind of get into music at that point and are you interested in creating music then or are you still just kind of a fan of it still a fan of it until i'm around 13. and, and so like what i start yeah. getting into the just scribbling shit down thinking i'm a rapper then we get into high school and i start figuring out kind of the way around it a little bit of the access to like the equipment and how, so do, how did how did you get access to stuff? Like, tell us a bit about that process. I had a few friends that were already doing it. Their family members had studios at their house. Uh, surprisingly, the second week or third week of uh, 
my second year junior high, I think, there was a, a buddy of mine I met named Dylan. Uh, he had an actual full-out studio built in his house, booth, plexiglass window, and we're like 14 at the time, so you see that shit and you just think you're walking into a whole, like, extravagant studio not realizing that you have the whole post-production <laughs> after the recording aspect to do yeah i don't think most the outside was nice post-production means it should <laughs> i mean i guess but information wasn't like fully flowing around back then the way that it is in the current era yeah, well, we weren't even calling them just, like, no one was saying sound engineers or anything. It was just sound guy. <laughs> Facts. And then, so you just kind of had access. my sound guy, or, and, like, people still, to this day, will confuse beat makers and producers as one and the same, but they're two different type of... Yeah. Could, one can do both if you wanted to, I'm sure, but beat maker can make beats, but can you produce a song the way that a song wants to be produced or an artist wants a song to be produced that's fair to be fair you can be a producer and not know how to make beats and vice versa because i know that people may not know that but i arguably i'm a producer on all my songs because i make decisions and honestly i know it sounds whatever but the producer is the driver of a project to get it done so they will make the executive choices and direct it like a conductor they're like the conductor of the experience. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, beat makers make beats. I'm not a beat maker. Uh, I'm not, it's not really what I, mean, I do. I couldn't make a beat to save my fucking life. Did you try to make beats? I have tried multiple times. I tried last week. <laughs> mm, you are way more persistent than me. I made one beat. It's still out there. Um, it's trash. Uh, and I never made a beat again because it's hard. And I don't really want to learn how to do it, to be honest. Yeah, the, the most I was able to teach myself musically was how to self-engineer my music and shit like that. So I did learn how to become a bit of a recording engineer. I don't think I'm a like a real I-can-mix-you engineer. But I know all about how to hit Control-R and put your vocals in the right spot. And even, like, chop your rhythm up to fit your rhythm nice. I can do all that shit really good. And then hand it off to somebody who knows how to actually mix. Because, <clears throat> you know. I mean, I it took a while to learn. I mean, it was a lot of... It was all trial and error and hit and miss, so... And you... Did you start learning this shit when you were 14? Or back then you would just show up to the sound guy and let the sound guy do... Oh, the minute... The minute I found out that my buddy had that studio in his house... I started going to his house and once we started making the music... Stuff and then we realized, well, we're gonna need to have someone mix it. We started learning it from there ourselves. We didn't really... We, like, I, it was all trial and error for us. It was all just... What equipment did you have to mix? At that point, I think we were... So, in... I think we were still using Cool Edit 2.0 at that point. Mm, how'd you get that shit? Hacked version. Oh, hacked version. Understood. <laughs> That's how it <laughs> used to be. So you guys were like making your songs and um, were you like releasing it? Were you putting it out to the world or was it just like some shit y'all kept to yourselves? Oh no, I was putting it out there, man. I, the minute I started and feel of being able to make music and stuff, I was like, I'm just going to put it out. I'm not going to pull back from it. I mean, 
obviously not not the best reactions you get in your first tracks and shit like that. But I mean, like, I mean, it 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 built the foundation of what I would have to expect when I start making music that ends up being somewhat more tasteful later on mm. when I would get further into the creating my own music and then when I got to the point where I had my own home my own house studio I was mixing uh editing all my own things and shit like that so so where did up, you where did you release music as a teenager like where, how do you drop MySpace. tracks back then you're a MySpace dude you're really on it back then bro I was at like I've hunted something thousand fucking plays at that point. Like we pushed it. And then what happened with pushing MySpace? MySpace. Well, Tom Tom didn't like MySpace anymore. So like once Tom left, I left. <laughs> and then and then we figured out that the internet had a lot more of a broader reach than just MySpace. So where did you guys go after oh, MySpace? After that, I think I went to Reverb Nation. And then after Reverb that, Nation. I think... I didn't even get to where all this Spotify and Apple shit is nowadays, man. Like, I didn't even get the chance to come to the streaming era. I, I'm, I was on, like, the straight post on MySpace bulletins and blow that shit the fucking through the wall until people are annoyed as fuck they block you type shit. Like, I was... I, was, I, I had... On Facebook, I posted a lot on Facebook too. So around 2007, when I was around 17, when Facebook first came out and shit, and when then artists started making like their uh, fan pages and shit like that. So I'd be on like, I remember, be just clickbait is what we call it now. But like I'd be posting comments on like, Dead Mouse when he had his fucking Facebook profile and it was popping like crazy. I posted, I'm like, Dead Mouse just did a remix to this song and like. <laughs> Like fifty, like seventy five percent of the comments would be like, "This is such bullshit," and I was like, "Yeah, you're right, but thanks for clicking." <laughs> now, like, Did it, now like, I wish how, it was that simple. Were you were you getting like actual results from that? I was though. I was getting a lot of good results from that. Like, how many views would a clickbait strategy for Dead Mouse get you? If I was on MySpace and pushing it like through the bulletins or on Facebook and shit and doing these bullshit scam fucking spam comment type things i'd be i'd be getting like a like at least a thousand maybe 1500 views a night if i was pushing it hard but if i was just pushing like a couple posts here and there and then letting it sit and watching it then it'd be like maybe like a couple hundred every every day or two and like at that point that was still something to me because we were young at the time so we were like I mean, it's still pretty good numbers today. <laughs> I'm like, Damn, I mean, if it was in today's numbers, I don't know if it would equate to anything today because of like, I'm not sure exactly how long someone has to listen to the song for it to actually count as a play. Because back then, if you went onto the like, onto the page on MySpace or something, and the song just started playing because it was set to automatically play when someone visits your profile, well, it counts as a, as a listen. You know what I mean? I think so, accounting back then if they were offering like incentive thirty seconds I would be or something. Happy. What's that? I think it's like thirty seconds to get to partial or something like that, and then it counts. It's not the it's not the same payout as uh, yeah. a full listen, but it's also not zero. At least they're still giving the people who only get thirty seconds of their shit listen decent chance. 
I mean, they say that, like, reviewers and shit that are, like, considering you for curation. Like, that's all you're getting. You got, like, 30 seconds to catch them and get their interest or they're going to move on to the next thing. Or they'll know if they like it or not within 30 seconds. Definitely. Um, so you guys are basically the annoying people that uh, created a lot of the anti-clickbait culture that we have today. Understood. Um, I'm part of that. Did, yes, I am. Did you get I fans out of it, though? I know you got haters out of oh, it. Oh, yeah, but... no, that's what I mean. Like, surprisingly enough, I did I did end up getting more uh, fans than not at the time. I mean, comment-wise, I'd have a lot of assholes, but people reaching out personally and me doing collaborations with people outside of my city more than within my city was happening a lot more. Uh, I think my first collaboration was with a dude from, uh, I forget his name now. No, I don't. His name's Spitz. He was from Kansas City. Hmm. And then the second one was a dude from uh, Coquitlam, B.C. I don't know what happened to him, but uh, once I made a track with that guy, that's when I started getting a lot of results just without even having to spam anything, like, because they had that whole, like, put your top eight friends, you know what I mean? So, mm. people were like... You, you were in his MySpace top... You were in the MySpace well, like, top essentially, eight? Essentially, add this to your playlist was, it was add me to your top eight, so that way... Whoever's gone to your page will see me on your top eight and be like, well, he must be fucking important. Mm, especially if it's like you have 10,000 followers. People are going to be like, who are these guys? Yeah, I don't know how many of y'all watching this remember MySpace, but it was really like that. It was hectic. It had a lot of colorful. It was way too many colors. Man, well, the thing about I liked about it was that's how I... You know what? Having MySpace, I was able to learn a lot of shit, too, like how to work with HTML and, like, flash design and shit because you were able to make your own, like, layouts of your page and shit, so... I mean, yeah, basic coding shit. And it was the only way... (laughs) <laughs> to like get the cool stuff like to have floating graphics on your page and the song playing and all the other obnoxious shit that made Facebook be like nope all your profiles are going to look the same yeah exactly <laughs> and that's it was like coming from MySpace to Facebook and then when Twitter came out with the, came out too and then you everybody was using everything at once to try to like get their their listeners to interact with them more was it was just you had to be on so many different platforms you still do nowadays I mean I'm talking like this is fucking 2006 2007 2008 2009 and whatnot but like now it's like I I think like the the difference back then is um the streets version i don't mean selling drugs i mean moving mixtapes and merch and hustling like that was super different than it is now like you could at a certain point a certain point in time pull up at the right spot with like a hundred cds and play your instrument or rap or whatever and move them and that would have been as viable a strategy as say the internet era back then whereas now doing that like mixtape version is a little it's a little rough it's a little rough to sell music so directly like that so you end up relying a lot more on the internet i think because it's just how it's done 
Well, that's just how it's done. To be fair, I'm personally more leaning towards IRL, but then leveraging the internet to advertise that my IRL is actually dope. But like, yeah. it requires the human component for it to work. But the internet is still required, you know, because mm -hmm. I don't know how to talk to like the five people that give a shit outside of Montreal, you know. I feel you. I feel you. But yeah, it, it's yeah. It was a different time, man. I mean, and it feels like that every decade. Like every decade feels like it's a different time. Like it doesn't even take fifty years now. It's like every five, ten years, it's just like a completely different re-imagining how people are going to do what they're doing today in ten years. I can't even look at it. I don't even try to think about it because I'm just like, ah, it's so much. Hmm. So like, what then? Um, so like, you're in the MySpace era, Facebook early shit. Are you doing shows at this time, or is it mostly just an internet push? I was doing shows. I was doing uh, whenever they'd come like uh, available. You know what I mean? I wasn't going out seeking them because at that point, everyone it was. Well, it's still kind of like today. Everyone was very still click-based. Everybody was still within, like, their own circle. So if they had a show, the people that were on that card were only the people that were in that circle. So my way of being in with all of that is something that a lot of people don't really like these days is where you're just very neutral with everybody some would say you play both sides if one has an issue with the other but really if that's your issue with that person what the fuck's that got to do with me if i'm trying to do the same thing you're doing you know what i mean so yeah it's, a it's very neutral in the sense that if like for example like there is the south end crews here today and the West End crews here today, they work together fine, perfectly fine, because they're all intertwined and blended. If this 15 years ago, I was starting out and stuff, West End crews and South End crews in Ottawa would not fucking be close to working with each other just based on the whole aspect and idea of this gang culture that they're running with and or let's call it crew culture because hmm. everybody was claiming to be from a, a set or anything like that they just all had their own crew and, and and if you messed with one then the other wasn't fucking with you but for some reason i was able to shimmy my way in and be all right with everybody and still not get either my ass beat when i went to the other person's party or <laughs> hated on when i was at another person's party so like i was I guess, I don't know, I guess I was just able to relate to more people. my experience with that kind of stuff, if you stay the fuck out of it, people respect that you have nothing to do with it. That's the thing, that's what I mean nowadays, is people can't appreciate when someone is just neutral and doesn't get involved in people's shit. If they're just trying, if they're just doing what they're doing to try and help themselves out in the project they're trying to put out or push or whatever idea they're working at, that moment if it's a podcast if it's pushing for the podcast if it's pushing for the music if it's pushing for just whatever it is nowadays people don't like when you're playing neutral because they feel like you have to either be your own man you can't work 
with everybody. You have to. I, that's how it. That's how it feels. I mean, saying it, it does is, get to a logistical reality where working with everyone is impossible, just due to the fact that. Um, I'm not gonna say any names here, cause I, it's not a good time for names. But sometimes you get involved working with person X, and person X got real beef with person Y, and you don't know about any of this ahead of time. It, but it doesn't matter now. You already kind of cast your webs and shit. And I don't necessarily like that side of it. We do our best to stay the fuck out of everyone's business. But there are manifestations where if um person x comes on my show and they got beef with person y i can't be booking both these people you know like so now there is a reality where in a sense if you have any power at all even if it's to just book people for a show now you kind of have to pick sides right so if you put person x you can't invite person y you're accidentally doing this shit you know what i mean like it's not even like you're you're doing it in my opinion, it's just pragmatic business shit and is that the next thing? And then, okay, fine, next show we can flip it. hundred ways to move forward. But from the perception sometimes of people, it's not really neutral. You are prioritizing one over the other in that moment. And depending on the level of feelings between the parties, you can, in fact, you know, catch some negativity. <laughs> I think well, I said that really all delicately. <laughs> No, I mean you're not wrong, man. It's definitely, it's definitely how it how it looks to be moving in that direction a lot more. I thought. Brusky. Do you know what it was really it was, like back in the day in both our cities? It was like that I, to a point of violence. Now it still is. To that, it still came. It still kind of is, man. It's just, it's just, it's the younger generation that's more violent now because the older heads have realized that it didn't work out well for for us when we did that shit back then. Yo, I can say is cameramen don't get robbed in Montreal like they used to. <laughs> shit like that. Okay, like, people sometimes talk that shit, talk that shit, honestly, and I sit there and I'm like, hold on, hold on. Uh, I think you're confused about what the past is like when there were no cameras anywhere and nothing got filmed, so therefore... You're seeing a perspective that is based off of a world where nothing was filmed. Now everything's filmed, so it's different. Yeah. So we, we both see a lot more incidences of shit, but the actual number is probably way the fuck down. That's my theory mm-hmm. on that shit. Cause the like, thing is, like... Yeah, go ahead. A lot of the people, like you were saying, like if you book one person on a card for a show, like you're not going to have the... You know, nowadays, if you book that one person, then the other person's crew is probably likely not going to come to that show. So there's not going to be an issue there. If there's an issue there, it's going to be a randomized issue or an incident that happens more than a targeted issue. Most likely. Not saying all the way likely, but most likely. Right. And Uh, Montreal is a much bigger city and island fucking Ottawa. So, I mean, here, everybody knows everybody so if they know that so-and-so has a problem with so-and-so and you're talking to like you said x and then the next day you're talking to y well <laughs> tomorrow you like if it's t- if it's back in the day tomorrow then you're not talking to either of them because they're both just both going to feel like you're being disloyal so 
back then. I don't know how I was able to squeeze through and be cool with everybody. I'm glad I was able to. Well, I have a question then. Were you a media platform back then or were you just an artist? Media platform as in what I'm doing now? Yeah, because you're a media, no. you're a journalist now. Like whether or not it's professional journalism, you're currently on, um, like me too, I'm in that, we'll call it amateur journalism sphere of like what we do is just low budget media, right? So that changes a lot in my experience. It was made very clear to me once when I, I interviewed somebody and he's happy to tell everyone about it to their face right now. I interviewed somebody and um, I didn't recognize him in real life and then I asked him to be on my show. <laughs> and he was like, bro, are you kidding me? And I had to eat that one. I did have to eat that one. So like, <laughs> you know, if I'm a rapper and I forget I bumped your song, it's different. But when you're a media person, it's like, you know, you're just different in, in, in the context yeah. of neutrality because you are, in a sense, providing voices and spaces for people. So if you have yeah. me on your show, people who don't like me might give you a look like, why are you backing this motherfucker? Because you're platforming me. Whereas back in the day, it would have just been like you pulling up at parties. Yeah, I don't know if I that that's you. a way to translate it a bit. Maybe that's where my head goes with it. Cause, yeah. Back then, I was I was just an artist, though. I wasn't a media platform or anything like that. I wasn't trying to. The idea of like blogging, even back in the MySpace days when blogs were just starting to roll out with like the whole music blogging and things like that, like it didn't even cross my mind. I mean, I was trying to get my music onto blogs, but I wasn't trying to create one. So maybe that helped you create a level of neutrality. Um, I think I think uh, I think that may have been part of it, and then I also find that now because of with that back hip hop past that I have working simultaneously in different cities by sending music by email to different people to finish and send back, I was able to get within the 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 scene and the culture in different parts of Canada and stuff like that. So like Montreal, I had a lot of people like that. I used to was big time back in the day and then aren't rappers anymore. And a lot of them I probably wouldn't even recognize today if I saw them, because like I said, it was all online. Like who did you work with? Oh, fuck bro. I can't even remember half the names now, man. Like, uh, I think the last person that I actually saw, from the Montreal hip-hop scene from when I was still making music, like, in person, is Boy Blue. And he was at my boy Graham's house because they go back. So okay. that was in, like, 2013. Fair. Very, like, because, like, you'll see, you'll post, you'll post, like, shit up, like, Boy Blue's from years ago on your Facebook or something, and I'll be like, fuck, I remember this joint from back in the day. And because I was hearing the shit at my boy's house before Blue would get there. Hmm. Like he was a studio. Oh, he wasn't at the studio. We were just he he was just there. My boy Grams and him went really really like. So we just have that unreleased sure. stuff or whatever. Yeah, he just have it bumping out the crib, and I'd be like, "Who the fuck is that?" And he'd be like, "Oh, it's Boy Blue new shit." And I'd be like, "God damn!" And then Boy Blue would just be popping in the door, and I'd be like, "What the fuck?" 
So you're basically so, hanging but out. But he's always a solid dude. Like, but people I worked with, it was it was more. I was working with a lot of people more in like uh, outside of Ottawa, like sending it to the states that my friends or like family had friends and other connections in the states that I was sending it to. And if they sent it back, they sent it back. They didn't. They didn't. So it was really, really. I honestly, I was just trying to get as much content out there at that point and just hopefully throwing shit at the wall and hoping something sticks <laughs> fair enough i mean so you went through that this is all like the early 2010s and you would be performing whenever you got the opportunity to go perform like what what did you get so to do coming around you, uh, 2012 i was performing a lot more but uh, changed. then i just went through some personal shit and I just stopped making music completely obliterated my catalog I have no idea where it is found whatever I have left on old emails on attachments so I'm unloaded all that one day and just threw together a rough unedited unmixed type mixtape and then from there I've just been slowly Slipping in and out of studios and recording. So in 2012, you were out there performing a whole bunch. Not a whole bunch, but more than I was in 2010. Like, where did you perform? There was a lot of Mavericks in Ottawa. Like, it was a lot of Ottawa shows. I performed at Let's Scratch a few times. Oh, Mavericks is the spot on Rideau, right? I had an Airbnb. That was right next door to Mavericks the last time I was in Ottawa. That must have been a noisy fucking Airbnb. Big mistake. That's what I learned. I, I, I thought would, it would be I would cool. Have, I would have definitely suggested something something else, bro. It wasn't even the Mavericks people. Cause they're, they're oh, it was the outside night. people. It was the Frosh Week. <laughs> so, oh, it was just these drunk-ass college kids walking by, making all the noise while I was high on mushrooms. <laughs> Um, oh, that one, that must have been fun. Did you get the mushrooms here at the shop? Nah, I got a, a little gift bag from somebody, and I was like, ooh, this is fun. Yeah, um, they got their little mushroom dispensaries here now, they're dope. I have not been to a mushroom dispensary yet, but I'm not surprised. I got. I mean, I get ads for mushrooms, and they're like, hey, buy some psilocybin, homie. I'm like, is this legal? Are you legally allowed to give me this ad? This seems sketch that you're advertising to me so candidly on Facebook and YouTube. And then I realized that means the government don't give a fuck if they're advertising so flagrantly. Yeah, not until they start making enough money, that's when they'll start giving a fuck. I don't think so. Because, like, I think they care about coke because you never see nobody pushing coke like that. But, like, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of psychedelics and shit where you can just get drugs on the internet yo lindell can you just go on florida websites and buy drugs is that just like a thing you do in florida because that is a thing you do up here you just go on a website and you e-transfer some stranger and then drugs show up in the snail mail <laughs> it's like a real thing when you say it like that it's a little like huh. but it works and you you, you know you holla you, you tried this site yeah i tried this site it's a good site yeah it's a good site and then you do it and you're like oh it's a good site and then you get reward points, and you're like, this is so strange to get reward points <laughs> <Yeah>. on marijuana. <laughs> it's very true. 
Um, so you stopped making music over a personal thing and then decided to have Britney Spears your catalog. Exactly. Um, that's a bold move. Are you equating my, are you equating my catalog to Britney Spears' bald-headed incident? Yeah, and what she did to her career and what you did to your career. It's equal. <laughs> I don't think she thought that was going to happen in her career, though. I knew what I was doing. I mean, maybe she did, broski. That was some real cry for help shit. Just like torching your career is some real uh, cry for help shit. Lindell's saying that in Florida, the websites are right around the corner. I guess he's looking forward to that. Um... So you, you 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 torch it all, and then what do you do after that? What happens next for you? You're in 2000, I guess 13, and you've been a rapper for a while, and now you're not a went rapper. Ghost, went ghost completely off the grid for like six years. What did you do during those six years? Not much, man. Just worked. That's fair. Work. Did you, did you play just, some video games? Going to school. I went to school a little bit. Uh, did you play Call of Duty? Started working. What's that? Did you play Call of Duty? When I say I was off the grid, I was not doing fuck all with anything online. Mm. Did you play uh, local Halo? Because that's Ooh. offline. That's <laughs> true, but I didn't. Fair. Uh, were you playing board games? I did play Monopoly once in a while. That's some hard shit. Do you read books? Yeah. Um, I was trying to picture what a I guy was does for, a for while. six years offline. I was for a while, and like to be honest, man, I was just I was I was I was working unhealthily, working just picking up constant shifts. That's fair. Were you stacking just, bread though? Just stay busy. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you run that gambit for a while. And so you're grinding and grinding. And then what makes you decide to come back to life and revitalize the ghost? Um, <laughs> so I have, uh, I'm still in contact with uh, like three or four people like uh, that I went to, like from elementary school, like kindergarten that I grew up with that I still talk to. And someone had... Uh, saw me at the, I forget where it was, I think I was shopping, grocery shopping or something, and they saw me, and they were like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long, I'm like, yeah, I know, and I was like, in that one of those moods where I'm like, I, I really wish you didn't see me today now, too, but <laughs> they saw me, so the conversation happened, and they're like, well, have you seen this post, and I'm like, you just said that you haven't seen me in so long, so I'm sure you're well aware I'm not on the internet. And I'm like, no. So she told me to post, and it's someone saying, where is Jordan Hanley? Is he dead or alive? And I'm like, okay, I definitely need to let people know that I'm alive. Wow, you had a <laughs> so, whole ass, is this guy dead post? Oh, I'm telling you, when I went off the grid, you, I was off the fucking grid. That's wild. I don't think I'd last. I feel like if I tried to go off the grid, six hours later, Chris would get a voice note from me. Like... I believe in life after love or some shit because I'd just get a little bored and I'd be really bad at being off the... You can ask Chris. That's some real shit. He might get that later today, actually. Um, but, like, yeah, I couldn't do it. I mean, I lost my phone last year and I had to go a whole ass 
day or two with just computers. Do you realize how spoiled this is to say I had to go outside to an event without having a phone? I was like, how did we used to meet up with each other and shit? It was so hard. I was not good at life like that. I was like very grateful to get back my instant access technology. (laughs) And you spent six years hiding from the world. Were you like in Ottawa? back and forth and just out from, there from, no. from montreal ottawa montreal back and forth and you were like just working nothing grind 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 and then you find out somebody thinks you're dead so you're like maybe i should let them know i'm not dead i thought it might be the best case scenario to let them know that so i didn't get like random missing person reports set up for me and shit that would be a little bit of a vibe. You're just sitting there one day and the five O show up and you're just like, and, uh, cause it might not be legal yet. <laughs> and then, uh, it was a year before. <laughs> so like, it was not legal yet. So you throw it away. And, uh, then the cop comes over and, um, it didn't matter dead. to me then either. I wouldn't have threw it away. Oof. That's on some next level shit. I know people were brave and constantly tell me of the days where they smoked weed in the faces of Montreal cops. You know what? I wasn't brave like that. I was not. I threw it away all the time. You know, see, <laughs> Montreal cops were, I find, I don't know, man, Ottawa cops were a lot more hard asses about this weed shit out here. Because you're in the nation's fucking capital, broski. Yeah, man, but they have 420 on the fucking hill. Everyone does that. But, like, I'm, I'm just saying. You think it really has the same effect these days? I mean, it's different now, but when it's a criminal offense in your nation's capital, I can see why the cops might be like, nah, we don't want a bunch of weed here. I'm, I'm not, yeah. like, saying I agree with it, but oh, no. I could see how in 2016... The cops were kind of in a rock and a hard place on that one. One time, the cops caught me peeing and took my weed away. And were like, broski, it's going to be legal in a year. Don't be stupid. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's invaded your privacy and space. To be fair, I was peeing stupidly in a public place where I should not have been peeing. But I really had to go and I had terrible judgment. Terrible judgment. Um, so what? So you come back to life on social media, but how does that lead to you being a podcasting interview guy? Um, I don't. So, come this Wednesday is going to be two years that I've been doing on the line with. So, shout out to that. But I just decided I was. I just. I was just listening to a lot of podcasts, and I was like, I felt like doing one, mixing what I know about the hip-hop culture in the city and just in general hip-hop and then the mental health part of it because I deal with it myself. So I combined the two and it kind of of snowballed into its own thing. It went from just going to have like just underground indie artists and we just luckily getting swerved into a direction to someone who knows someone else and I I landed a couple 
good first interviews for season one with like Wordsworth and Mass Days. Uh, I think I had I think I had Fat Joe's son on that season too. Yeah, I had Fat Joe's son on on it too. And uh, shout so out to you, uh, how do you get these people? I don't. I mean, obviously, like I'm not trying to be like tell me in explicit detail all the secret sauces of your connections, but like, how does one actually get there in your opinion? Because like, dead ass. A lot of people like to say. A lot of people like to say they network and they and they. Networking is a lot more than just saying, yo, what's going on on, on an Instagram chat with right. someone that's famous and hoping they respond. And if they do, then you shoot your shot. It's it's more working with the people around them. Not so that the people that are big that you're talking to hear you, but that the people that are around the bigger person are talking to them about you. Well, that makes sense. No, it does, because as an example, we just saw Killer Priest pull up, right? And yeah. he definitely had a handler, right? And I believe that if that handler don't, like, and that's not like a negative term. That guy's job is just to keep him on schedule. And, like, if you're really running a production, you really actually need a person to play that role in your life because they're going to make sure you don't actually miss your plane or train or shit like that like that's that guy's job and to not waste your time being bogged down with like dead ass people like us <laughs> who might be like pulling yeah. up at a show trying to get in the wrong vibe nah he needs to prepare leave him alone for now like that guy you know yeah, so like and... those are the people around them though and if their approval good luck yeah and th- the reason like a great word to do is that um got Fat Joe's son in the first season, and that's because of uh, another interviewer, podcaster, media guy out in Montreal, Mike on the Mic. Mm. Mike on the Mic? I know it's who he is. No, it's, it's, it's yeah. Mike on the Mic. Um, I never yeah. met him or talked to him yet, but I'm aware of him. Shout out. Shout out to Mike on the Mic. He, he, he got me in contact with uh, Rye So Valid. And uh, actually, me and, me and Fat Joe's son have actually remained in a pretty uh, like back and forth, so we're constantly discussing things. So there's a lot of things going on in the mix that uh, I share a lot on the Facebook page and shit like that. But there's a lot of shit that I also just I just keep to the side because I I like just dropping little spices here and there and letting people follow the tracks. Acts. Also, it's not always good to put things into the air too quickly because sometimes something's in the bag until it's not in the bag. Exactly. So it's good to, you know, tease but not necessarily announce. And that's the thing. If something is something does get confirmed and then all of a sudden it gets, which it shouldn't, unconfirmed. I always keep those <laughs> receipts, so if anybody's like, man, this motherfucker was lying, I'd be like, no, actually, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm less worried about that, to be honest. Like, I think at a certain point, sure. you yeah. can I get give, to it. I could give a fuck less what anybody thinks about my network game or who I get to have on the show or what I do to get people on the show. Some people right. are probably like, oh, he's begging people to come on or, 
oh, he's getting people to get people to come on. Well, once in a while, I am trying to reach my arm and get someone to throw out a, a, a bone for me so I could possibly get a link up with someone. There are some people that I would genuinely like to speak to, but they're on a different radar that I can't personally just hop, skip, and jump over into and be like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm just this fucking random small city podcast guy. Could I talk to you for a minute? And no, I mean, it's it always a way. It's just always that way. That's the way. Exactly, and I don't... I, I refuse... I refuse to, to pay for an interview. I'm sorry. I don't care if people do. I have nothing against I thought it. thought about it a little All the bit. All the power to you if you have the money to do it, but I refuse to pay someone to come on my fucking show. Like, I look at it like... If I had a guaranteed ROI, then it really is just doesn't make sense to pay that money. Because some people might get you enough. If I can get you 100,000 views and cost you two Gs, you're probably making that back just on AdSense, you know? So it's like, at that point, it's not like that bad of a deal. It's just a weird flex maybe. But at a certain point, these people aren't going to interview you unless there's a real incentive. Either your platform is big enough and this isn't like the people you've gotten I'm just saying this next tier of things it's, yeah. it's their time is literally worth money per minute like, like, the, like you've seen the, the most recent big name that I've gotten confirmed I'm still waiting to do the interview with is Yella from NWA which massive me because I love NWA and in Getting to talk with Yellow from NWA, I'm now gotten doors opened just organically to associates of old NWA members, uh, dead or alive, and uh, I mean, with like Wordsworth and Master Ace, I've had people from their side of things reach out too. So, I mean. This is why I'm, I try, when I speak about that neutrality thing and people not liking it, this is why I try to stay neutral. Because if, like, like outside of local not politics, where is the neutrality it, coming in? Like, that's where I'm confused. Like, you'd just be interviewing people about mental health. Like, what neutrality issues are there? See, yeah, but you got to remember, I do have the hip-hop music aspect to it, too. Right. I don't. It, it it doesn't just jumpstart going right into the mental health uh, conversation. You know that firsthand because you're no, on I hear you, two. but like, I mean, I do interviews here, right? Yeah. I can totally have people on different camps on my show, and like, what it like it's implied for the most part that I'm not, you know promoting any of their beefs or anything and like i've had that like i'm not really gonna block pretty much anybody from being on my show over a beef with somebody else and most people kind of understand my mission at least is to document the story of montreal hip-hop primarily so like that requires talking to all the guys on all the camps in a sense and i've tried my best to remain neutral when it comes to street shit I'm super not neutral if the street shit... If it's not street shit, okay, now I got opinions. Street shit, I stay the fuck out of it because it's really not my business. 
you know so i mean yeah. and i think i think a lot of the people that uh i've had issues with my whole neutrality thing is all the people who were in the streets in the past that i made music with and i think nowadays they're still not out of that mindset where it's it's me against the world it's 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 either I fuck with them or I don't fuck with them. It's one or the other. It's either still on that, and, I, and, and I'm like, I'm not. A, I don't make music anymore. Though. So a lot it's of not, this it's is not just no more. People mad at you for winning. I'm. I, I wouldn't call it winning, but yeah, I'd be. I'd say. I'd say a lot of people are mad that I'm not in the same uh, type of headspace that I was uh, five, ten, fifteen years ago, where I was like. Just fuck the world. I'm gonna fucking roll with who I roll with and fuck anybody that doesn't like it. But now it's, I want to hear stories from whoever is gonna give me a story that's gonna help whoever's listening to the show. If if, if that story is gonna help somebody, then I'm doing my job. It's not about. It's never been about the numbers for me or in anything like that. I mean, more numbers would be nice. Like I said, anytime more people are listening, it'd be nice. But I mean, if one person listens to the episode and that one person that listened sent me a message to let me know what it did for them, then I'm like, cool. Yeah, it's a cool feeling. But it can be it, it, it. Some some I've gotten a lot of. Well, there'll be something coming out in a couple of weeks for on the line with uh, second year uh, of fruition. Uh, Oh, yeah, right. but like uh, there's been some messages I've gotten over the last couple of weeks, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I did not think it had that big of an impact. And you never know what people are inspired by or what kind of mind frame they're in when they listen to your shit. Sometimes I'm baffled by the reactions I get, the stuff I say or do, and I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. And so. we were just talking to them before, uh, like uh, the pre-conversation before the interview started. Uh, I just interviewed Rico the other day. Rico Blocks. Rico Blocks. Day. Straight from the Val. And, and I've been following Rico since I was making music back in the day. So, like, I've known Rico's music from before he stopped. And then when he picked it up again, just uh, as, of, as of recent. And then we were talking about that the other day. And, like, his interview is probably one of the... Like my top five that I've done um, out of the, I don't know, for On the Line With itself, I think I've done maybe, I think there's going to be probably altogether 40 so far. Not all released, but altogether there's been 40 recorded. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, because a uh, good dude. I had very lengthy chats with him on multiple occasions. And, uh, yeah, he pulls up to events. That's my biggest metric of anything. I was once asked about worthiness, and I realized that to me, the most worthy artists are the ones that pull up to events, even if they're not the best artists in anyone's mind. Not to say Rico's bad, but yeah, if they were, to not be as good, you know, like to pull up and have the right community attitude. I feel like they're more worthy than the more talented person that don't know how to play ball. X. And that shit gets me in trouble because I just be paying attention to shit. I, I like I do this thing at shows where I'd be like, 
okay, how many people does each person pull? And I just remember those numbers, and I pay attention to those numbers. And I let people know sometimes to their face, yeah, this is what you bring each time. <laughs> like, this number of people, I can tell you, I've seen you four times, is this, you know? It doesn't do me favors. <laughs> I mean, it does some favors, but makes some people not like me, I think. Yeah, but, I think uh, because people are so uh, accustomed to the me I was when I made music that they really think that I put in like an act but not on the show as they're so not used to me just being so transparent and open and just upfront about things and just honest more of myself now than I was back then so they're just a little bit uh, do you, like do you have this large list of people because sometimes I'd be wondering like how many humans are actually coming at you like that? Because I just see mad love for you. Yeah, you see, you 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 see all the stuff maybe on 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 like the open, the open source stuff that you could see. But if if you saw the if you saw the direct line, it's it's a whole it's a whole other look. Uh, that's fair. I mean, and you and you gotta realize too. Like I said, I deal with my own mental illness. You know, I got bipolar and shit. So like. And and most of it is usually more chronic lows than me being manic. So mm -hmm. someone's directly reaching out to me and just pissed off or just I don't, I don't even know how to explain a lot of them. It's just ch petty and childish a lot of the time. But like it, it it's not gonna it's not gonna help me. <laughs> like it's it's not gonna make me quit doing what I do. But it's also not gonna help me do what I do any faster. So like. All they're doing is delaying what pisses them off <laughs> so I mean I'm used I'm used to the bullshit that comes with entertainment so yeah I feel like there's a lot of bullshit I also feel like we have to develop tools to control the energies around us that we give ourselves access to like you can just not respond you know like oh like, that's nah. no, oh trust me I don't I don't I won't I don't respond to the direct line bullshit but I I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not open the message so it doesn't say seen or something on Instagram like I'm gonna read the shit because I want them to know that yeah I acknowledge you motherfucker like, but Brosky, I'm, I'm leaving not gonna you respond. on red with negative energy you know like I'm just I, I like a lot of the shit is just petty or just, and the shit they say is half the time it's just so like just general that I'm just like are you sure you're talking about me or are you talking about yourself but just projecting it onto me Broski everybody's talking about themselves and projecting it on you you're not that's lying my you, that's true what you ain't lying that's true I mean obviously there's like valid criticisms that people have from a place of love but like all means I take constructive criticism when I know it's constructive criticism but when it's flat out just fucking straight hater bullshit. I mean, if you are gonna get famous, it's gonna be a lot more hater bullshit. <laughs> That's what it kind of comes. Well, I'd rather be famous and take the hater bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I thought Actually, a lot about that. I want to be like. Wouldn't want to be famous. I want to be like not famous, but that like layer below famous, where the famous people know who you are. 
and you can go hang out exactly. with them. Like, I, I want to be, like, backstage at Coachella partying with rock stars. That sounds fun. That sounds like a good vibe, actually. I also would like to definitely. perform Coachella, but I'll accept backstage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have a nice little booth set up backstage with all your equipment. Bro, I'll take being in the room. <laughs> just let me just give me my phone. We're doing we're doing like vlog styled camera shit. Yeah, definitely. I feel you on that part. Or shit, are we even allowed cameras in these parties? I hope not. I want to go to the parties where you can't have cameras. I don't think you wanted to go to those parties, man. I've heard some weird shit. No, I definitely want to go to those parties. Yes, I mean. All, all right. Well, if some weird shit happens to you, don't say I didn't warn you. That's fair. I guess I could be like waking up <laughs> with no kidneys or some shit, but. I mean, you're gonna go to one of those parties and you're gonna end up coming out taking photos, throwing up Illuminati signs. I'm with it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about the Illuminati signs, but like, is that the Rock Nation thing? <laughs> so if I start going like that with Illuminati, I don't know. <laughs> But like, I'm just like, eh. I kind of want to see what that lo- world looks like. Again, I wanna, I wanna visit it. Like, I don't want to live in it. I want to visit it. Um, I, Dell, come on. I, I'm okay with that shit. If you're rich enough for the tabloids, you're rich enough for the tabloids. It's like, yo, if I'm like in this situation where I have all these people around me, I feel like I'm not worried if the tabloids are like Holden's at the weird rich person orgy let's go mm. that's a cool tabloid story <laughs> to me um but uh so you come back into this interview game you've been running it for the last couple of years doing your seasons why seasons what does this season mean to you because i pre-record them right so i'd rather just um be able to anticipate what I'm going to do for the next season if I'm going to if I'm going to change the type of art because the first one is going to be a multiple art uh type podcast with a, a, a mental health aspect to it so like it could have been could have been one season where it was music another season where it was painters or another season where it was fucking dancers whatever and then it ended up just continuing the hip-hop and going and going where this season there's some um, producers on it there's some um bigger rock artists or the states that are on it the bigger indie rock artists i'll clarify not big rock names uh the only um name that uh, actually i'm gonna shut up there Ooh, he's not gonna tell us he's like just in case just in case. You're going to save it for my big rollout. If I tell anybody first, it'll be it'll be you. That's fair. You can tell me in direct messages. I like keeping secrets. Yeah. I learned that that's a lot of what this game is. Motherfuckers be telling you shit. And you can't be talking about the shit you know. At first, you get into gossip. And then you find out if you talk about the shit, you can get beat up. And you're like, oh. I don't want to get beat up. And they warned me about not talking about it. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, they weren't playing. Oh, yeah. and then sometimes people like, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes like people will just tell me some fucking really specific things about people, 
where you're like, I don't want to know what you just told me. You just destroyed that person's reputation in my mind. I don't know if you're telling the truth or lying, but now I know this thing that you've told me. (laughs) What What do you do with that situation when it happens to you? Like how do okay? Because personally, I find it hard to not look like. Depending on the situation, it, it does make me look at people different, even if I don't want to. Like, but do you like? Do you find that that happens to you? Like, it changes your perception of people, or do you just like ignore that type of shit? I think it really depends on like the severity of what the topic of that conversation was. If they're mm-hmm. telling me that I's out here fucking raping people in the music scene I'm gonna probably look at the guy fucking different respectably understandably so and if it's they're just telling me about the shit this guy or this woman likes doing behind closed doors because it's one of their fucking fetishes that ain't my fucking business man like I'm not interviewing Mm. about his sex life for me it's when I find out certain people's occupations and I'm like oh that's what they do for money Oh, that's what they do for money. Okay. <laughs> See that that that's also usually none of my business. Unless it's I, really it's totally like... none of my business. I'm just cognizant of it. It's like you can't unknow it. That's the problem. It's not that I want to know it. I just how do I not know it after you know it? It's best. It's it, sometimes it's hard to look past, especially if it's really one of those big shockers. But I mean. You do your best, right? And and if you can't look past it, just shut up about it. <laughs> That's a fact. That's all you see. I'm not saying no names. I'm not even giving you examples. I'm just like, okay, you're an interviewer. They must be also doing this shit for you. Like, the interview ends, and then you're on the phone for sometimes an extra 20 minutes, depending on who it is. And it's just a deeper layer of shit that was not said. Like, let me give you all the context I wanted to say but couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. No, that happens a lot. And you know what? Funny enough, uh, it's been a lot of the uh, like higher names, like bigger names that have done that when I've hung up like after the call or something. And then I'm like, are you really going into details right now about this shit? And I'm like, I thought I thought you said you didn't want to go into details before. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's because they didn't want to go into details on camera. On wax. Exactly. And then you find out, oh, they they really like to talk about these things. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it definitely it happens. So, so are you like sitting there on stories that if you could tell would get you like crazy views, and you're just kind of like hands tied because you know the shit and you can't talk about it? Oh, I have excerpts of fucking interviews I could post that are 45 seconds long that would get me more views than probably some of my interviews why don't you post them I'm not a piece of shit oh like these aren't public these are like private excerpts or they're like it was in the interview but I oh, felt like oh you record it, it and then you chose to like edit this shit out because you feel like it's not Appropriate to in release the best this. interest of both of both parties, me and them, and the person they're talking to, or all three of us actually. It's in the best interest of all parties involved that know about it now, not to have it out on there. Wild. So you're saying if I do this shit live, I'm gonna get myself in some trouble when some of these guys go a little too talky. Well, because I think when you do it 
live like this, I think people give you more of leeway because they know it's live and like you can't help what happens on the live. But that's not fully true. They know I that I am. No, it's true. You can be on the phone prior and say, "Look, if you're gonna say something, just don't talk about this topic or don't talk about this." You can do no, all I that. I mean, but... like sometimes if somebody's going in a direction, I will dead ass be like, "Look, I'm not trying to be DJ Vlad here. Let's let's. I, I have the right to dead a topic, right?" So there's still a culpability to like recognize something's happening and dead it. You you know that, but I'm saying I think people that watch and listen feel like you have more leeway. Possibly. So I guess yeah, because if you're I editing that scene, shit, you're making a conscious choice to leave that shit in. Exactly. And like I've had people who are listening to their interviews say like, well, why didn't you have this part in it? I'm like, oh, do you really want the issues that came from it? Mm. they'll be like you know what you're right <laughs> and I'm you like, ever had somebody no, be like nah, i want that smoke. i stick to neutral oh yes i have and then i'm like well if if you do then i'll just send that exact piece to the person you were talking about <laughs> broski if that did you did anybody agree did you do that has that happened you don't it, need to say names times. people bro, are like nah, really send that shit bro, bro. I have a full interview have a full interview right now on my thumb drive <laughs> that says <laughs> insurance <laughs> so like there's a whole interview with someone i did that just never got released because i'm like if this gets released the whole hip-hop scene in ottawa is going to go and kick his door in and take him out <laughs> just and each give him a beating so i was like we're not I'm not dropping the interview. That's a wild thought. I don't know that I've been in that position or that I would... I don't know how to end up in that position. Maybe I just... Because if I did it offline, people would talk different. Edit that out. Because that's what you can say, right? You can think about it after the fact. And then no one's ever asked me to edit things out by any means, like, at all. Like, I've just... It's how I've done it. I've recorded them, edited them, converted them, listened to them, fixed it, added the songs that I have to add. And so I wonder if maybe that's it. part of your success though, right? Because personally, I'm always looking for like patterns and shit. So if you're saying you make that conscious effort to ensure that whoever's on your show is going to look good, even if they try to sabotage themselves, we'll call it. Um, other people are probably seeing that, right? Like they're probably noticing that there's these elements here to show that are different. Like, sometimes I'll let people talk whatever shit they want. I'll be like, are you sure you want to say this? And they'll be like, yes, I'm sure. And then they'll say their shit. And I tried. I mean, I didn't try that hard, but I tried, you know? Whereas no, you're, like, putting a real effort into controlling, I guess, the image of everything at the end of the day. I mean, I am, too. I want that raw rugged. I'm not even trying to make it polished. But, like, I totally see what you mean, you know? And I, I think that helps possibly make the PR people's and the publicists and shit like you know like the the around the artist people fuck with you more yeah maybe yeah um so you've been doing this for a minute and now you want to come back to music i've been hearing you talk about coming back to music for a hot minute so what's going on with your project and what what's the plan for you returning to music um, I don't have a plan, man. I'm just, I'm spontaneously doing it as I, like I said, I've been swinging in and out of studios here and there 
uh, working on some uh, small projects, writing for a few other people still. That's one thing I never stopped doing was writing for people. Oh, you you do like ghostwriting? Sometimes I won't call it ghostwriting. I'd call it more. Um, I just touch this up for you. <laughs> See if you like it, and if you do, keep it. If you don't, so don't worry about it. Song editing. Yeah, basically. You do that for bread. Is that a source of income, or is that just like a free service? It depends on people. Fair enough. Eh? And, and it depends on how much of the work is actually. So yeah, like when I'm ghostwriting, this motherfucker gonna pay me, and when I'm just editing and tweaking, it's cool. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's I mean, actually like, there's a few, a few people that have that have done it just, sort of just because I know them, and I'm like, here, this I think this could add an extra layer of like dope aesthetic to the track so and if they use it and then they're getting these streams and the revenue they get and they send me a little a little becky check every once in a while and i'm like all right well thanks mm, royalty money all right i mean i'm out here making i mean i'm out here making dough bro i'm out here fucking struggling every damn day but i mean i'm doing what i do <laughs> yeah but the fact that you can make money off that shit it's hard right it's like i mean a i think people act like Everybody always wrote 100% of all their songs 100% of the time. And that's weird. It's not really... I mean, look, I write most of my songs all the time. But if you were around me and you're like, nah, Holden, try this line. Why wouldn't I try this line? You know, like, why would that's I be I mean, so... When you're at... When you're, when the, the, do people really... When people are at a studio together and they're there at a studio and they're actually doing the whole track at the studio, writing, recording it and shit, like vibing and it's happening organic, well, organic also means that there is input probably from the other people as well. So Or like, yo, how should I deliver this line? Should I do it like this? Should I do it like this? You know, like even to that end. Harder, harder nah. softer, faster, slower. <laughs> and then... Like, I could totally get how, like, fine. If I'm picking up a song completely penned by Jordan Hanley and I'm trying to claim I wrote that shit and in the bars, I'm like, this is the realest shit I ever wrote. Okay, fine. That's a little corny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, I don't know if you wrote a song. Because, yeah, like, this wild shit in pop music where, like, famous rappers who absolutely know how to write their own music just end up with songs written by somebody else, and they just do them, and they become hits. Because, like, somebody writes a song, their voice isn't right. You know who would be perfect for this one? And then, at the end of the day, it's business, right? Maybe Jordan Hanley is a hit writer. Yeah, and I don't, I'm still surprised that I'm able to do it because... Of, Personally, I don't think I'm all that great of a, of a lyricist, but I mean, I surprise myself once in a while, but... What does a great lyricist mean to you? Eh, it's hard to say nowadays. I don't know. How much has changed in music? Has it? Uh, I, mean, I would say so. I just, thing... I just feel like... Everyone feels like every song has to be a bop now. No, Every single thing that's released has to be a hit, and I'm like, 
back in the day, it wasn't. It wasn't really. Not every song had to be a hit. Uh, sorta. I mean, if we're being no, real. No, because it went. It went. You had a single. You had a smash hit, and then you had the tracks on the album. Yeah, now but you have a, now you have ninety percent of my exposure to ninety percent of the bands of my youth were just singles. Like if I'm being dead ass and I've gone back to album reviews and shit, nah. It kinda was like I just knew all the singles and very unless I copped that album, you know, like I don't think it changed that much. Because nowadays, a lot of these people, yeah, they have all their singles, but they also have, like, the 50 songs on SoundCloud and all this other shit that's not singles that's, like, there if you go, like, digging deeper for it. But I just think a lot of people are just trying to make every song their best song because we're in an era where you don't have to make albums. Like, you you can, but you really don't have to. You can just make music. Feel you. I don't know if that makes sense. Or, it's just I just I feel maybe not every song has to be about. Maybe it's everybody feels like they have to put the pressure on themselves to make every song feel like a bop. Um, I don't know. Most of the people I know try to be kind of versatile with it. So I suppose, like, look, I have a very skewed perspective of this because again, I'll be like wildly rolling with people and what i can tell you is most of us are trying to make sure that the songs we make that are new translate well to live audiences so if that means make a bop it's possible that that is a cycle where our efforts to make the crowd move is bopifying shit because you kind of don't want to just like you know i don't know Live music has greatly shaped everything about how I perceive it because you do enough live performances and you're getting a different kind of feedback. You're getting immediate real-time facial reactions to your music down to are they walking outside to go smoke cigarettes or are they walking from the other side of the bar close to you? Like Everything happens and you're watching it all happen at the same time. So you're just trying to like keep the people here you know that's yeah. your currency no, is to you're keep right. the people here so it is possible that with regards to what you're saying that we're all chasing that that bag a little bit i think i i would agree with you on that part bro definitely agree with you on that yeah you don't like bops I love bops i just mm. feel like i just feel like there are some songs that are going to be made that shouldn't feel like a bop. Mm. Maybe it's because one of those emotional artists who write very deeply and it's not always going to be a club bop or it's not always going to be a street anthem or it's not always going to be... Uh, a swaggy, surfy, wavy fucking type of joint. It might just be nitty gritty. This is how I'm feeling. And if you don't like it, then I apologize you don't like it. But try again next month when I drop another one. Facts. Sometimes. No, it's just, I've always been, I've always been mindful to know that like a lot of the plays on your stuff usually come from the same people when you're like. Hoping that 
everybody's constantly new listener, but it's well, that's how it was back in the day, anyway. Now, I mean, yeah. you could find uh, out that you have like a thousand monthly listeners or a thousand million monthly listeners. That whatever shit's the case all is. random, broski. The top city that likes me keeps changing. <laughs> Currently, it's Phoenix, Arizona. I'm like, who do I even know in Phoenix? I don't know. Somebody found me in Phoenix. Um, but I, like, maybe, maybe, I, I maybe someone from my Instagram. I've had a lot of interviews with people out in Phoenix. Like it's totally possible. It, like, and it might be like that. And I, I would be really cool, actually. Hell, that would bad value to your show, in my opinion. Um, but like, yeah, no, it's just random. But then what I've come to realize is, in my experience, because at least for me, I believe I have a relatively versatile catalog in terms of Sonic direction. In fact, I don't even know what my next Sonic choices will be. I just know what the beats I have now are. And then I'll hear something completely different and I'll be like, mm, now we're going to make that kind of music. But what I've come to see is that I have a lot of people pick a very different song as their favorite song for me. So, like, you, you, you're very versatile. And I was telling Rico this in our interview, not to bring him up again, like some fanboy, but the other day in our Rico interview, I was, telling him, I was telling him that, like, Olden definitely is in my top five of best song title names ever. Listen, I'll take that. I'll take a top five for everything. But your music's great, but your song titles, they either, I'm I'm either laughing at them because they just make me laugh, not because, like, the concept or anything is funny, but just the title itself, like, go to therapy because they can't snitch is probably the funniest fucking title. I only need therapy because they can't snitch. Because I was thinking about it, right? Just in general, Shoot. sometimes. Well, because sometimes I'll take like the title. Because I know you wanted to talk about this. <laughs> sometimes I'll take the title and uh, I look at it like it's the tagline in like an article, right? Like you're trying to almost draw people in a little bit. So I try to make the title be like an additional layer to the song on this this journey. So like, if the song. It doesn't really say that, but, like, there is, like, a line. I get why they pay for silence, you know, way too hard to filter through lies, a bunch of shit. But just to make it real concise for y'all, motherfuckers talk too much. So you can't really be comfortable with other people. So you end up going to therapy, and everyone kind of goes to therapy because they can't snitch slash won't snitch slash that's their job is to keep their fucking mouth shut and just listen to you talk your shit. So it's like... That's the idea of the song. My favorite song titles. I think it's fair. I'm not, or, or like, so it's, but that's just like this mixtape run where it's all goofy shit anyway. And like, cause like my main music projects, they're all like really regular names. Like Let It Shine or Jimmy Says or Lose Weight or Clap Those Hands. And then all of a sudden you go to the other side where it's like cold cuts are better when there are no pickles. Or... Uh, JLB Ditch Chris Chrome is is possibly my favorite because that really happened. JLB ditched Chris Chrome. So I was like, I'm going to write a song about this. And he kind of gave me a chuckle within a couple, within a week it was out. And it was like, there it was, JLB Ditch Chris Chrome. And I don't know, <laughs> anything. I think people take their shit way too serious, to be honest with you, just way too serious. So... I'm trying to let you know I know what I look and sound like. 
Like, I'm aware of it. We're just going to have fun. You, and then you, it's not you really own all who that you are, fun. Man, and that's, the best, that's the best part about your artistic value is that you own who you are. I mean, I, I like branding. A lot of people are afraid of branding, but I'm kind of geek on it. Oh, I actually, man, I really, I'm always, I'm always trying to get like a logo redone for the podcast and like, I'm like, I love this one. And then like a week later, I'm like, I want a new one. <laughs> Bro, that behind that suit shit, it's been the same shit since 2016. I'm like, I thought about changing it one time, but when somebody walked into my crib before like the interviews had really started, looked at the behind that suit logo and basically said, um, I've seen that before. All I can tell you is I know it's positive and about hip hop. And I was like, oh, fuck. Am I stuck with this logo? Because <laughs> I don't really like it. <laughs> I know exactly that five other companies have used the same graphic because I've seen them and it pops out in your face. You're like, oh, say a word. That's the problem with Adobe stock photography. <laughs> Everyone's using Adobe stock <laughs> photography. Um, but yeah, Definitely. do you change your logos a lot? Uh, I've changed. I, I think I've changed it twice so far, and I have alternate ones for like merch and shit when I put when I have a like uh, merch available, which is coming back soon. I have merch coming mm. back out because we sold out that first time in like pre-sale series. They sold out right away, which was dope. So shout out to everybody about that. Facts. I have. I don't have that problem. <laughs> I'm still learning how to sell merch and being like, oh. These profit margins are trash. Holy shit! You have to sell a lot of merch to make money. I got I got lucky on my on my uh, reduction for merch. I ended up getting a really uh, great bulk deal, and then ended up losing that bulk deal because the guy wasn't happy that he was selling it to me for this, and I was selling it for that. And I was like, "Well, what did you expect me to do? Not make money?" Hold on, you got in trouble because and not only that, the money that I did make, the money that I did make from merch went directly back into the podcast. Never, not into my pocket per se. Right. So I mean, eh. I think that's wild. So like the guy was actually mad at you. For... He was pissed. Damn. Oh, so he's like, and then he was like, and he's like, and you can't use this design anymore. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, please do something about it. Like, I, I, I wish you fucking would. Like, you ready to take on the world over your design? That's crazy. How, how high was your? And I guess you can tell me after. Tell me after when you're not snitching yourself. Uh, how high your markup was? I'm mad. So I'm mad curious. <laughs> because like what is the I wasn't threshold even of... being greedy I wasn't even being selfish or greedy man it was fair price listen a fair price is a fair price I don't even know what that means I got told that Saturday and I saw the I... comments on the shit when you first posted your merch bro I could not stop laughing at the shit people were saying I was just like I man was like, people act on. like people, people act like they didn't go out and buy a fucking diplomat shirt back in the day for like a hundred bucks no but I'm also sitting there going like, we're talking about a hoodie with a pickle on it, okay? Like, huh. like in the bigger picture, what are y'all talking about? If you want the hoodie, this is the price of the hoodie. Otherwise, it's not worth it for me to do this. Dead ass. I know maybe somebody might be poor or something. And if it's, like, really like that, 
maybe we can figure something out at cost if it ever comes down. But that's not what it was for people. It was it was more like you're just hating on your price. Oh, you shouldn't be charging this much because I'm charging less or something. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna charge this price. You're probably also getting it printed for less. I mean, I I'm paying for not the shittiest hoodie in the hoodie land. I'm paying for a hoodie that after it goes through the wash 15 times, it's not bullshit. Am I paying for the nicest shit? No. But, you know, like, fair is such a weird concept. <laughs> Especially when it's a piece of clothing that is my merchandising. Yeah. Don't support the show, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know what to tell people. I was really bamboozled by that post. I was like, wow, y'all. That's a lot of... I don't want to buy your shit. <laughs> it's a lot of I don't want to buy your shit vibes going around. I mean, like, to be honest, I don't really want to buy most people's shit right now because it's not a good time for buying people's shit. So I'm super grateful to people that want to buy my shit because for me, it's not a good buy people's shit time. But I also have bought a bunch of people's shit. Like, um... I totally fucks with Grimy. I copped a bunch of their shit. I copped the Mike Shabo t-shirt, you know. A few other people. Travis uh, Bryant's bag is my, like, pink bag that I go around with. That's some tra- yeah, I that's saw you guys bag. talking about that the other day. Yeah, I was surprised that it was, like, you know, you, you buy a bag that you assume is made shittily in China and that it will be terrible. The bag is made shittily in China, but... It survived really fuck, and I put it through hell. I've stuffed the shit out of it, and it, it's it's a good bag. I'm, I'm, sometimes, I'm sometimes you get excited about good bags, mean. okay? <laughs> sometimes at this no, age, I get excited for like some real regular shit. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of those pickle hoodies, though, I'm definitely gonna cop one soon. You said whenever you're in town or whatever, we can do the thing. It's probably better than paying for shipping, unless you do want to pay for shipping, in which case, holla at your boy, and I have to learn about shipping. <laughs> uh, definitely, just real. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come through soon, and then I'm just gonna, I'm gonna probably, before I come though, I'm gonna probably set up a studio day, so that way, I have some hours booked when I'm down there, and whoever wants to roll through can roll through. Fair. Do you know what studio you want to use? I don't know who I'm gonna go to yet. I don't know who I'm gonna work with yet. I think I'm gonna, uh, you know, Lil, you know, uh, Lil Dizzy. Yes. Uh, you know, Lil Dizzy. Probably gonna I go. Met Lil Dizzy the other day. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna probably have something set up with him at his studio because I know I have. Uh, I'm trying to work with MCO. Are you saying like going to MCO's crib? I want to. I want to get some beats from MCO. I sent him something. I wanted a sample chopped up. Speaking of that, I have to hit him up. But yeah, you definitely um, have to follow up with MCO. MCO, if you're watching this, it's true. You solid, have to follow bro. up with He's MCO. Solid. No, no, I was solid. just in his crib, and then Lil Dizzy walked in, and I was like, hmm. When you said Lil Dizzy, I'm like, I, I was struggling time, heavily to sit in his chair to a point where he felt bad for me and switched chairs, and I was like, damn, this is awkward. Um, but MCO is a really solid guy. I like him a lot. He keeps buying yeah. tickets off of me too. So shout out MCO. Yeah, definitely. No, he's a he's a solid dude, man. I met him through DZ. Um, met a few through DZ actually. I met Flipstar through DZ. 
Um, uh, Lipstar is a good dude. Else have I met through Because I interviewed Deezy before he did the Metro Metro Festival. Mm. And, uh, and then he said I was, I was either one of the only or the only person who actually interviewed him before the show to see how he felt about it. So he was really grateful for that. And he's a really, he's a really genuine dude, you know, like he's very, very genuine about things and he really appreciates things when, when you offer them to him. So those are the type of people I fuck with and I like to help support and promote and let them hit me up if they have something to say and they're like, yo, I need to do that something out on air. I'll be like, all right, we'll do an Instagram live. That's interesting. Yeah, people are just like, let me come rant with you. That's what car chats is all about. It's about that type of conversation you have in a car while you're driving or something. And it's just back and forth about anything and everything. Fair. And so, then uh, where do people follow all of your shits? And is it all on Instagram? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, I have a few followers on Twitter. I don't use it that much. I just use it to post the links. Are you on the TikTok? No, I tried. I just, I just, I just cannot get my head wrapped around it. You take those forty-five second clips and you put them on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily the no, same but... ones, but you find forty like that. Really, you put a me that blew the fuck up, and I'm like, yo, did you boost that shit? That shit blew the fuck up. I'm like, that got a lot of likes. Um, and, uh, you put that on TikTok and that kind of shit, honestly, like what you're already putting on Instagram, you just put that on the talk. Yeah. I just don't want to feel redundant. It's not, it's like, it's like, imagine one of them is a lounge and one of them's a dive bar. Fair. I don't know which <laughs> is which. So you would put the same, I would perform probably the same in both environments a little bit. I wouldn't even modify my set that much. Like, why? I'm just going to come do my thing. But then you just get one audience and the people who fuck with you there. And, like, it's, you know, TikTok is so different, dude. Like, I just put, I'm, I'm now I'm going to start testing boosting posts. So, like, I can just send my TikTok to people in Montreal. So I just, I'm going to put live performance videos of us and just send them to Montreal so that when people end up out, they'll see me and remember. Yeah. You know, like, you have, like, really cool shit like that on TikTok that is a little bit not as available on other platforms. Yeah, I just, uh, I think I'm going to, when I, when I start releasing music is when I'll probably come onto the TikTok game. Mm-hmm. And then it's just one minute music videos. It's weird. It's weird shit. I was doing that for YouTube when I was making music back in the day, man. Hmm. Made one minute music videos? Yeah, because I used to, like, if I was doing mixtapes and I was using, like, if I was just using instrumentals of, like, actual, like, uh, like from already made tracks from famous artists or something, I'd usually only use amount of the instrumental that was <laughs> good enough sounding quality so usually about a minute before it loops and sounds like shit and so i'm like all right and then i if i wanted to do i shoot a small quick video shout out johnny hood my first video guy 
Nice. Man, so you've really just been doing this for a hot minute. Are you like? Are you gonna come back and like take music serious, or is the podcasting really just the focus for you now? I'm gonna try and figure out how to intertwine both of them, and not try to make it seem like I'm trying to gas my music career with the podcast at the same time. I just have to figure out how to do that. You just do both at the same time. My virtue of doing both, they boost each other. Yeah. No, deadass. Like, sometimes I'll be in concert mode. I'll be at a show. Like, there's this uh, lady that uh, does a modeling agency shit. And I was like, yo, I could interview you about, like, how men should talk to your girls. And then that caught her attention. And then sometimes you're in other environments and you're just like, I'm a rapper this time when I introduce myself. And it's just, like, toolkit shit, right? But then your social presence... All of it's intertwined. It's all you posting it, so it just kind of works. I don't even really plug my music a lot. Like, you'll never really see me being like, oh, go follow my Spotify, unless it, like, organically pops up, in which case I'll say it. But, like, nah, it's not the goal. All my links are in the description, but the goal is to get you to follow my shit, and then you get curious and go dig deeper. I feel you. Yeah. Um, oh, I hate to have to do this, but I think we're going to have to make a part two out of this. Fair enough. I was like, I don't know how long you're giving me beforehand. You yeah, know, you know like, you, you, you know my situation, so I mean, between like, you and me. You have this amount of time, and I'm like, okay, we're going to go way past that amount of time. That was my goal. <laughs> when people tell me I have well, a time worry. limit, I'm like, let me blow past their time limit. Let's see if I can. That means we did a good job over here because you stayed longer than you wanted. Um, but I appreciate you coming. Well, trust me, for... I, I would have stayed. I would have stayed fucking multiple hours if I could. But you just know the situation is very delicate where I'm at right Understood. now. Understood. I'm not even arguing with it. Um, and trust me, I would not mind having a part two anyway because I like chatting with you anyway. You're a solid dude. At some point, we'll set that up. Um, I'm gonna have to run through people. Some people are all like, "You haven't interviewed me yet. What the fuck?" So I have to get through that list. Um, but uh, it's good to have you here and have this chat. And thankful for everyone that came through and watched it on the various live platforms. Thanks to everybody that's going to watch it in the future on the YouTube or Spotify or wherever the fuck you actually hear slash watch this. If you fucks with what we do, patreon.com slash behind that suit. That would be really fucking cool of you. Um, Otherwise, if you don't want to spend money, twitch.tv slash behind that suit, you can do that Amazon Prime free subscribe thing. That also gives us money. And then if you're not interested in the money part at all, uh, you can go ahead and just like, comment, subscribe. But if you're back to the money point and you want abstract pickle-related items, behindthatsuit.com. we got a little store going on now. And uh, Hanley's got a bunch of shit too. Links in the description. And I'm going to just pop it into the chat right here so that the people in the chat can see it as well. And damn, it didn't update right. Before so, I go, anyway. someone just... Uh... Drop me off. I'm I'm doing. Uh, I have another uh, person sponsoring the show for this season. So he just dropped me off a pack today. So I told him I'd do a little shout out for him before we go. So if anybody's looking for some dope apparel from uh, for the weirdos, FTW here. Find them on mm-hmm. Instagram, FTW underscore Apparel Co. And, uh, hit them up and ask them for the on the line with discount code. Ooh. So yeah, that's, uh, what is it, FTW? Underscore Apparel Co. 
dope. So make sure you guys follow that up, and you'll get yourself some dope. I like this drip. I like this sweater. It's nice. It's got like a nice, well-made feel to it. Um, it's made out of cotton. I like cotton. It's a good <laughs> clothing material. Um, it's a very good material. <laughs> I mean, I like the cotton printability. I don't know where the fuck I'm going with any of that. Appreciate having here, Jordan. Shout out everybody again. Um, buy some pickle shit and live long and prosper, everyone. Appreciate you having me on, bro. Let's catch up soon. And uh, I'll give you some of those uh, little secrets that I didn't drop in here for you later. Thank you.